Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being saved. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and your son. Lord, he came to bring forgiveness, life, reconciliation. Lord, you have accomplished every promise you made in him. And we remember that sacrifice this morning and we thank you for all that you have done for us in Christ and done for us in Christ alone. Lord, help me to preach and help us to hear. Amen. Well, in the Old Testament, there was under Moses a whole regiment of special days to be observed. And when you think of all of these days, usually you think of them under a haze of gray. They were, they were days of severity. But it wasn't like that. All of these days of festivals in the Old Testament, they weren't days of fasting and of mourning and of gloom. Actually, they were far from it. The holidays in Israel were days of feasting and days of rejoicing and days of festival and days of praise where the whole nation would come together and have a great meal in Jerusalem and they would share and joke and laugh and pray and sing and praise and eat and all of those things for days, sometimes for weeks. And the point of it all was to teach God's people by experience that it is a good thing to worship Him. He is good and it's a joyful, life-giving privilege to know Him and to serve Him. And yet there was one day unlike all the rest. It was the Day of Atonement. And it was called a day of rest, but not of feasting. It was a day of rest and a day of affliction. It was a day of fasting and a day of reflection. And we find that day described in Leviticus chapter 16. And in that chapter, there are all kinds of elaborate rituals and sacrifices and ceremonies. And when you read it, it leaves you wondering, well, what does it all mean? In fact, if you could go back there and, and even for the people seeing it, probably left them wondering the same thing. What does it all mean? The day began with all of God's people coming and gathering at the place of worship. The, later, the, the temple. At this earlier time, the tabernacle. And then the high priest would come into its courts, passing through the people into the courts of the tabernacle, leading a bull. But when he arrived, there was 
a strange requirement before anything could continue. The high priest had to take a bath. He had to wash himself. And then, after washing his body, he would put on the priestly clothes that distinguished him as the mediator between God and man. And after he was dressed, he would lead the bull to the altar, offer it as a burnt offering, but not before collecting some of its blood to bring as an offering into the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies. It was that place inside the tabernacle, the temple where nobody could go. No one except the high priest, and even then, only on one day of the year, one. If he went in any other day, at any other time, in any other way, he would die. And the reason he would die, it's, it's not because there was a, a trap. It's not because he'd come out and someone would say, that's a capital offense and they'd put him to death. No, the reason Aaron, who, who was the high priest, at the time, in Leviticus 16, the reason he would die is because behind that uh, door in the Holy of Holies was God. The presence of God. It was called the Holy of Holies because it contained the Ark of the Covenant, that earthly throne of God. And although God lived with His people, and although God loved His people, his people didn't often love Him. And they broke His laws. They broke them sometimes without even knowing that they were doing it. And there was a breach in that relationship between God and man. And Aaron, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest was going to meet with God to do something to try and repair that breach. Have you ever had to confess something to someone before? You've wronged them, maybe severely. Or maybe you broke the law and you had to come clean. Or maybe children. You had to tell your parents that you did something they expressly told you not to do. What happens when, when you have to do that? Well, it makes you nervous, doesn't it? makes you maybe a little sick to your stomach. Why? Well, it makes you sick to your stomach because you know that you have done wrong. That's one of the reasons. And two, you're fearful of the consequences. You're afraid of what will happen. And worst of all, whatever does happen, you know that you deserve it. Well, if you can feel that way, approaching an earthly authority, even a parent, as much as you know that they love you, how much worse would it be approaching the Lord God who cannot tolerate even the single smallest sin? Well, this is why to protect the priests from accidentally stepping inside the holy place, there was a curtain. A large curtain. A curtain from the top to the bottom of the, of the tabernacle that separated God from man. A wall between man and God's presence. But the high priest Aaron on this day would be going through that veil. And he would come first with the blood of the bull to make atonement for his own sins. In order to represent the people before God, the priest first had to be made clean himself and have his sins covered. And afterward, and only afterward, would he be fit then to come again on behalf of the people. And he would. 
He would go in, come out, receive from the gathered congregation two goats. One goat was a sacrifice. And it would be offered just like the bull. And the high priest would take its blood behind the curtain again, this time for the atonement of the people, for their uncleanness and their transgression. And he would sprinkle it on the Ark of the Covenant. But there were two goats. Yes, one was a sacrifice, but the other was the scapegoat. You've heard the word scapegoat before. This is where it comes from. Leviticus chapter 16. And in probably the, the strangest rite of the day, the high priest would take his hands and he would place them on the head of this goat and then he would begin to confess, to say out loud all the sins and transgressions and wrongdoings of the people. All of the things that they didn't even maybe know about. He would confess these sins while holding on to the head of this creature. And by doing it, he was symbolically putting all of their sins on to the head of this goat. And so that the scapegoat would bear the evil and the guilt and the sin of the people. And then when Aaron was done speaking, done confessing, a man would come and drive the goat out into the wilderness, never to be seen again. And that was, as far as the ceremonial aspects go, the priest had a few more things to do, but after this, the people were dismissed. That was the end of the Day of Atonement. And it would happen every year, on the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month. But what does it all mean? Five lessons that it taught the people. For one, the fact that it needed to happen at all taught the people that their sin, even if they didn't fully understand it, even if they didn't quite understand how, their sin had made a separation between them and their God. God is holy. And they were not. And in order for Him to dwell with them, for God to be with them, and them to dwell with God, something had to be done to reconcile, even momentarily, that division. The second thing it taught them was they needed a mediator. They needed someone to go from them to God and to come from God to them. And the high priest was that one. He was the go-between. But even then, he was insufficient. He was a far from perfect mediator. And that was evident in the day, wasn't it? He didn't have free access to God. He couldn't go whenever he wanted. Sure, he could move among the people, but he could not go to God. He could only do it once a year, and only after having a bath to be clean, and not without blood as an atonement for himself. Blood that represented, that was a symbol of the animal giving its life in the place of the high priest as a substitute for him. I mean, if anything, this day taught everyone present that this high priest, for all of his high standing in Israel, was still insufficient. Third, they saw a goat sacrificed for them. And they witnessed, played out before their eyes that they too were sinners and were unworthy of the Lord. They deserved what the goat had received. 
death for their sins, killed and, and burned up. And so it wasn't just a divide that was between them and God. It was a moral schism. And it wasn't like the divide that happens when you move away from home and now you're separated from your parents. No, it was the kind of divide that a criminal has, divided from the law. A criminal, when he's running from the police, there is a divide there, and it's entirely different than just moving away from somebody. There was a moral divide. And for that great lawgiver to reside amongst a criminal people, a payment had to be made. If they're going to live in peace, peace had to be brought. The crime had to be redressed, and it was done through the shedding of the blood of a beast. Fourth, they saw the result of this sacrifice. It was demonstrated by the dramatic confession of the sins over the scapegoat. And then a man with a whip would come and, and drive, violently drive the goat away from the assembly of the people. And, and of course, this was to show them what had been accomplished. Their sins were driven away from them, out of their midst, most importantly, away from God. God, by this day, separated now the people from... They were separated from God. Now they are being separated from their sins. God sends them away so that they could not continue to drive a wedge between He and them. And then fifthly, they learned that all of it, all of the rituals, everything, it was not able to fully or finally do anything that it pictured because it had to be repeated year after year after year. The, the whole thing was incomplete. It wasn't enough. It was like a leak in a roof. If you have to go back and fix the leak in your roof every spring, then however you're, you're patching the hole, it's not enough. And so the repetition of this day, year after year, proved the insufficiency of it all. The tension between God and the people remained. It could not be fully and finally bridged. Now what does that have to do with today? What does it all mean? What, what does that ancient holy day have to do with Good Friday? Well, the answer is everything. It has everything to do with today. Because what happened 2,000 years ago on Good Friday is, is, it is what everything on the Day of Atonement was pointing forward to. That's what it all meant. And all of those insufficiencies, all of those glaring failures and shortcomings that were so obvious on that day, all of them were answered in Christ. I mean, the fact that Christ even had to come at all shows us there was a great chasm separating all of us from God. Our sins had made a separation between us, and Christ came to heal that divide by bridging it and bringing us back to God. Not in a, in a tense, fretful, fearful way, but fully. Not in an insufficient way that sets up our bridge, you know, like a bridge of straw that can only be crossed once before it crumbles a bridge that will never fail. He came to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Christ. And He does it 
by being our mediator. He is our great and better high priest. Aaron, the the first high priest, he wasn't able to stand before God. He, He could only tremble before God. But Christ approached the throne with confidence and He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high where now He always lives to intercede for us. He didn't need a sacrifice for Himself because no uncleanliness was in Him. He didn't need to take a bath. He approached God on His own merit. He was and is the perfect high priest. But when He approached the mercy seat of God, He did not come empty-handed. He didn't come without blood. Hebrews chapter 10 earlier tells us the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away the sins of man. Why? Well, because bulls and goats had never sinned. They hadn't broken God's laws. Bulls and goats hadn't even been given God's laws to break. No, it was mankind who sinned. It was us who sinned. And if that sin was to be paid, it wasn't going to be paid for by the blood of a bull or a goat or a lamb. It was man who sinned, and it must be paid by a man. And that man is the Lord Jesus Christ. Fully God, yes, and fully man. And on the cross where He died and His blood was poured out, He was offering Himself as priest and as the offering, as mediator and sacrifice. They were combined in Him and His blood was poured out for forgiveness, for the covering and atonement of the sins of many. And when it happened, the result of that sacrifice was made known. When Jesus cried out, it is finished, what did He mean? He meant that everything the Day of Atonement pointed to, and not only that day, but every promise God made to His people, every ritual in the Mosaic system, all of it that pointed forward to a Redeemer was fulfilled in Christ. And all of the promises that God made, that He would put away your sin and separate it from us as far as the east is from the west. He did it by placing those sins on Christ and nailing them in Him to the cross. And there at the cross, what do you see? You see the end of all your sin. You see your sins condemned as good as dead being carried away to the tomb never to return. It's not only that Jesus was our scapegoat carrying our sins to death, to the tomb, so they could never rise and condemn us again, but the veil in the temple, that sign of separation between God and man, it was torn from the top to the bottom. In the holy place where God dwelled, where even if the holiest man on the planet only a day before had stepped into accidentally, he would have died. At the cross, that lethal barricade was torn apart and peace was made as we were reconciled to God through Christ. And now, the divide has been crossed. And we can approach the throne of grace with confidence to find help in time of need. No need of a high priest. This is why Peter says you're now a kingdom of priests able to approach God. No need of a a dramatic ritual. No need even to go with fear. We go with reverence. 
but not with the kind of trembling fearful that we will not be accepted if we go. Not not with the kind of fear that if I make the wrong move, I will drop dead. We go with reverence, but we go freely. Because that curtain has been torn, because of the shedding of the blood of Christ, we have free access to God through Him. It reminds me of a picture I saw of... uh, of the, the White House, and it's in the Oval Office. Maybe you've seen it. The desk that's there, it's open in the bottom of the desk. And, and, and JFK is in the picture. He's sitting there behind the desk. And you know, th- this is the place where the presidents and mighty men of the world, well, they go in there. They go in there with fear and trepidation. They go in there afraid. I've got to count every word they say because they matter. And there in the picture, under the desk that's open, you can see the children of... JFK playing in amongst his feet. The place where dignitaries and the mighty men of the world tremble to enter into, the children of the president can play amongst his feet without fear, with reverence, honoring their father, but without fear. And because of what Christ has done for us, we can go like that to God. It's all because of Christ, our mediator who never dies, our substitute who takes away our sin and dies in our place, our high priest who intercedes perfectly on our behalf, and the one who fully, finally, and forever made peace between God and man. A single sacrifice never needing to be repeated. If you're here this morning and you don't know this Jesus and you do not have peace with God, come and speak with me afterward. I want to talk to you. Or talk to one of the other elders at the church. Talk to the person who asked you to come, but don't go on separated from God. Don't go on continuing in your sin down that cursed way that leads to destruction. And if you're here and you are a Christian and you do know Christ, then be encouraged to know that there is nothing greater that God could have done than sending His Son to redeem you. Look at the cross and look at His sacrifice with solemnity and the thoughtfulness that it deserves. And go on living in light of this great and awesome day.